Hey guys, and welcome to the Abundance Alchemist podcast. I'm Caitlin Dorsey, an Abundance Alchemist, animal lover, trauma survivor to thriver, mindset expert, self-love junkie, and author. This is the place to be to grab those powerful tools, ideas, and inspiration to make lasting changes in yourself and your life. No more waiting, my friends, because it's time to show up unapologetically, radiate that confidence, and create a life you absolutely love. Time to buckle up and dive on in. All right. Hello, my high vibing friends. I'm so excited you guys are here. And as always, I'm super excited to um, talk with you and our guest today. So we have Jessica De Silva on with us today, and she's a licensed marriage and family therapist and an attachment coach. She specializes in helping adults and their unhealthy dating patterns and create stronger, secure relationships using the attachment theory framework. And I'm beyond excited to have her on. This is like totally nerding out with this. Um, but welcome, Jessica. <laughs> so much, Caitlin, for having me on your podcast. Of course. Yeah. So I'm excited to chat with you about, um, first of all, let's just start with like what even like attachment styles or kind of like an attachment theory is for our listeners that aren't aware. Yeah. Yeah. So attachment styles comes from attachment theory and attachment theory is it's a psychological and evolutionary approach. And it was pioneered by John Bowlby, I think it was back in 1969 or something. Um, And then it was later conceptualized by some other psychologists and they came up with, um, I guess they conceptualized these styles even more so. And they started talking about this other attachment style, which is fearful avoidant, which a lot of people really want to learn more about because there isn't so much out there about the fearful avoidant. But anyways, Up until now, there's so much research that talks about these different styles. And um, basically, it's how we experience love. Mm -hmm. So there's four ways in how we relate to people, how we experience love. Mm -hmm. Um, And those ways of relating, we we learn that from our uh, relationships with our earliest caregivers. So like your parents or whoever raised you. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can have an an anxious attachment style, anxious preoccupied. You can have a dismissive avoidant attachment style, uh, fearful avoidant, other name is disorganized attachment style. And then there's secure attachment, which is something we all want to strive for. Um, But what I always like to mention, though, is none of us fall into these categories perfectly. Mm -hmm. It's a spectrum. So that's why we tend to resonate with one or two or even three or all four sometimes, depending on what your experiences were. Perfect. So it's, yeah, it's amazing to know this about yourself because it gives you so much insight into why you are the way you are, why you do the things you do. <laughs> and then you can ultimately, you know, shift that and change that and, and uh, change your relationships. Yeah. I love that. I like that the, the focus of attachment styles is still, you know, our reactions and interactions with other people, but at the same time, it's really understanding yourself and how, like you said, why you do the things that you do, why you, you know, show up a certain way in a relationship, why you, and I like too that, you know, attachment styles, I know you specifically work with a lot of um, people about dating and unhealthy relationships with that, which I love. And I want to jump more into that. Um, but also recognizing that attachment styles are in every relationship we have friendships, every, like, I mean, even growing up as children, I mean, um, when I first started learning about attachment styles, I thought it was really interesting that we do learn it from a lot of our parents, parenting style is like what shapes that, or like you said, caregiver style. And, um, I find that really fascinating. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. And that's what I started to learn too more and more over the years is, okay, this doesn't just pertain to my relationship with my romantic partner. It's my mm-hmm. friends. It's my coworkers. It's, you know, my relationship to, to God, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's really how, and there isn't a lot of research to back this up specifically, but from mm-hmm. my experience, it's really how I relate to everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I agree. I totally agree. Um, so for you guys, Jessica has a free, um, attachment style quiz. And of course I went and took that right before I got on (laughs) just so I knew, um, because I think it was really interesting. I, you know, I'm familiar with attachment styles and familiar kind of with my background and learning about them, but I had never really had the chance to dive into like what mine specifically was or, and, and I like that you're, you touched on that right at the beginning of you don't necessarily fall in one specific. Cause that was my understanding of it. Um, and then when I took the quiz, I had three different like categories and percentages pop up and I was psyched because the first one was secure attachment. So I'm like, all right, I'm doing something right. <laughs> um, and then I was like, oh, okay. I think I got, um, anxious, um, I, I, let me grab it. I actually took a picture of it so that I could have it. Um, yep. And then I got anxious attachment and fearful avoidant attachment <laughs> were the other two. And so, um, my first one secure attachment was 63% and then anxious attachment was 25 and then fearful avoidant was 13. So I liked that because yeah. it gave me a place to look at, Oh, okay. I do have these behaviors that are stemming from it. And when I went and started looking at, you know, the more details of the understanding, I was able to see of like, oh, okay, this makes sense because like the secure attachment, some of the things that resonated with me were like a good self-esteem. Um, there was one that said, let me see here. Um, good at emotionally self-regulating. And I thought that was huge. And then doesn't struggle with vulnerability. And that was what really hit me of, oh, these change because that has not been a strong point, like my whole life. And so, um, I think it's really interesting that you said, like, you know, as we are adopting and, um, moving through like our traumas and healing and shifting, we shift into different attachment styles. A hundred percent. Yeah. And you'll notice that like, and like you said, right, where you can be secure in certain areas, Mm -hmm. but maybe there's certain people that will trigger you in certain ways. And then maybe your anxiety, your anxious attachment pops out mm-hmm. or the fearful avoidance starts to surface. So it's so multidimensional and complex. And so when you have that understanding, it helps you navigate those uncertainties and those complexities with much more clarity and understanding. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think my listeners definitely know, like I'm all about like the more we can learn about ourselves, the better we can create our lives. Um, and really everything starts from within us. So understanding, like you said, these, these pieces that do come up when you're triggered or even understanding that we can interact differently in relationships. Cause I think too, we beat ourselves up a lot about showing up different in different relationships. And there's a reason an attachment style really kind of gives that a reason. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I've seen that in my own relationship. So I, uh, I predominantly grew up with an anxious and a fearful avoidant attachment. Like my security was mm-hmm. not existing. Right. <laughs> I've had to learn to become more secure and that is such a process in itself. But what I've noticed is that, um, you know, because I was so disconnected from myself and just so codependent and all that stuff, I attracted so many unhealthy relationships, right? Mm -hmm. People that were also very insecure, 
Um, and so it just turned into this hot mess. But what I found, and so that only really perpetuated my insecurities even more and my anxiety or my avoidance or whatever that was. Mm-hmm. But when I started to heal myself mm-hmm. and um, just l- learning how to self-soothe, learning to and identify my needs, communicate my needs. Um, I found someone who was a little bit more secure. And in that relationship, I noticed, well, I'm not as triggered. So I feel more secure as a result. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, with different people, it's going to bring out different aspects of your attachment. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. I resonate a lot with that um, too. Cause I think one of the questions um in the quiz was about when past relationships come up, I feel like uncomfortable. Um, and for me, I was like, Ooh, that triggered me because I was like, all right, I don't, um, I was kind of the same. I was really insecure. I, you know, was looking for love in all the wrong places, kind of that kind of idea. Um, and I eventually hit rock bottom and I kind of was like, um, you know, my story, a lot of my listeners know, but I got to the point where I was suicidal. I ended up dropping out of school and it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I was able to really work on myself. And so I took a year off. All I did was work on myself. I, you know, saw counseling, went to spiritual coaching, all these different things. And I took a year and gave myself that time to really work on myself and understand myself. And in that year, I also took off dating. And that was something I'd never done before. And then I got to that point where I was like, okay, I feel a lot better about myself. I understand a lot. I've done a lot of healing work. And the first guy that I started dating after that year is my husband. And it was the same thing. It's because I, uh, I found somebody that was so much more secure. So when I was, you know, looking at my quiz, I was saying like, wow, you know, this isn't, um, like, oh, great. Good for me. Like I'm in this secure place and everybody see that, but it was like, wow, look at how far I've come because I do feel secure in my relationship. Cause I was thinking about when I was taking it, obviously I'm thinking about my husband currently in our relationship with that. But then I was also thinking about past relationships after that question. And I said, oh, my answers would have been completely different in those relationships because oh of where I was at. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. That's why in that quiz, I think I even mentioned like answer as if you are in your current relationship or mm-hmm. in your most recent relationship, Yep, because it's those relationships that really show you what those specific insecurities are that you're dealing with in the moment. Yeah. That's so amazing to hear. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, it was really cool to see. I think too, like, you know, we're, we're wired to be really good at beating ourselves up. And so yeah taking something like this and seeing like, wow, all this work that I've done. And, you know, like I said, that, that piece about, um, being good at vulnerability was one of the characteristics of a secure attachment or being comfortable with vulnerability, um, was where I really noticed like some of my change. And I gave myself kind of a minute and sat back and I was like, wow, you know, I wasn't able to be vulnerable. And then, you know, I started my journey and then started doing coaching and, you know, started the podcast. And so I'm like, obviously vulnerability, I'm, I'm a pretty open book now, (laughs) but it it was a process um, to get there. So I think attachment styles really give us so much more insight than just dating. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I also love that, um, you know, like within that period of time, I think we have similar experiences too. Mm-hmm. I took years off. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, I was still kind of dating here and there, but I had more clarity as to like what I wanted. So I didn't get like sucked into these relationships. Yeah. Um, but after that, I met my current partner too, who's mm-hmm. 
you know, love of my life. But, um, but I love that, you know, you took that time to do you mm-hmm. and become strong within yourself, create that like foundation of self-love, um, which is, you know, half of it, but then going into your relationship, that's where the security cultivates even more. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yes, we can heal and become strong alone, but like so much of that healing is also within the relationship because that's where you were wounded at first. So oh, we can absolutely. only truly fully heal within that relationship as well. Yeah, I that's 100% true. Oh my goodness. Sloan, I think about um, my husband and I have been together almost six years now. And gosh, when we were talking about it not that long ago, but when we first started dating, we were so different because I wasn't at the place that I am now. Like it's, you know, taken trust and, and years to get there, like we're saying. And so I did a lot of healing and a lot of growth in the relationship and it was not oh. easy. <laughs> yeah. And I, I liked, I like that you point that out because it's, we do kind of go into like this all or nothing or kind of black and white thinking a lot with when we talk about our own healing, or our own self-growth, we think about, you know, having to like retreat and all that has to happen within us. And it's, I always tell people like, we're not meant to do this alone. We are community creatures. Like this is, we want to be part of it. I mean, it's a basic human need to, you know, be accepted and to be loved by others. So, I mean, attachments are everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's everywhere. And that's actually something that I've had to learn personally. Um, It's interesting because I was so anxious growing up and then I went into like avoidance. Like Mm. I'm just going to do this myself. I don't need anybody. I can't count on anybody. Everyone fails me, whatever. So now I'm, and I'm telling you, it's like a, it's a lifelong journey. You never reach security. Like Mm -hmm. it's not realistic. Um, So you're always like shedding these layers and now I'm learning, okay, to heal my avoidance um, is to start asking for support mm-hmm. is to start relying on people, um, which can be so scary for people that have that avoidance. Right. Um, so it's just so interesting as you learn about attachment styles, you just peel these layers and layers and layers. Um, but it's a beautiful process. It's a really, really cool process. Yeah, it is. It's as you keep sharing some of your story, I'm like, man, I feel like we lived like the same life. <laughs> Cause I'm like talking about it too. I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. Cause you know, my, my family, they always tease me that I was like the rebel child. And when I look back, I don't feel like I was a rebel. I feel like I didn't feel safe and Mm -hmm. I didn't feel supported. So I did the same thing. I went, you know what? I don't need anybody. I can do this all myself. And that was, that was hurtful to, you know, realizing too, like that our attachment styles can be hurtful to other people sometimes when we don't intentionally mean it because you know, growing up and changing and having these conversations later on with family, they're like, well, you were a rebel. And I, and I've told them, no, I didn't feel like I had anybody there. Like everybody had other things, like no faults of their own. They have all had other things going on. And I interpreted it of my perception was that I didn't have anybody. And to hear them say, no, we tried to be there for you, but you pushed us away. It was like, oh, okay, that's an avoidant. Like, I mean, whether that's what happened or not, like my perception of is, you, you know what? They were there. They did reach out. They tried to help. And I was put being that avoidant because of my attachment style to them. So it's, it's interesting to understand too, like past behaviors because of, you know, why you did. Cause we, like I said, we are so good at beating ourselves up of like, I should have done this differently, but understanding you did that because 
of these type of, this is where your attachment stemmed from. This is why that behavior made sense to you at the time is, is really powerful and kind of healing in its own, own way. It's a really big part of the healing journey. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and with the avoidance too, it's, it's um, like the reason why people be, form this avoidant attachment style is because they, their needs weren't met the way they desire to feel mm-hmm. safe and secure. So yeah, your parents could have been like, yeah, well, we tried, we were there for you, but it wasn't the way that you needed in your right. own way. So mm-hmm. you felt rejected, you felt misunderstood, you felt mm-hmm. alone or abandoned. Right. Um, so, so yeah. And so now as an adult, it's like, wait a second, I'm going to learn how to identify what these needs are and communicate, Hey, this is what I need from you mm-hmm. to and to feel understood. But that takes a lot of vulnerability and courage, mm-hmm. um, which is hard for the avoidant. I know we're just talking about avoidance right now, but, yeah. um, but that's, that's a, that's how you become more secure, I guess, in that specific attachment style. Yeah. Um, I love yeah. that. Cause I think too, you hit on some pretty, big words. You hit on abandonment. And I think that that's a really common feeling or the fear of abandonment for a lot of people that, especially kind of in the current climate when we're, you know, especially with COVID, like having to retreat back into a little bit more isolation and still like being in that unknown, it's scary. And so we have kind of this fear of abandonment that I see come up a lot. And I'm curious, I'm curious why you think we have kind of the fear of abandonment, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think I, I made a post about this the other day, I think on TikTok, because so many people are like, what does abandonment mean? Right. But um, I mean, abandon it, it looks and feels so different for everybody, depending on what your experience is and depending what your attachment style is. So, and this is perfect opportunity to kind of dive into the attachment. Mm-hmm. So with anxious attachment, their abandonment was, um, you know, they received love, but it was very inconsistent and it was very unpredictable. So, you know, so for them, it's like, if they don't get all the attention, all the love and support and care consistently to them, that feels like abandonment. That feels like rejection. It feels like I'm not good enough. So that's like their form of abandonment in a way. Mm -hmm. When realistically, no, we can't expect our partner or whoever it is to be there all the time. That's just, you know, it's not unrealistic. So of course you're going to feel those feelings of abandonment and rejection. Um, for dismissive avoidance, it was abandonment was, okay, my parents are maybe too rigid or too controlling. And so they're not actually listening to what I want or listening to how I feel. So I feel alone. I feel misunderstood. Uh, that's their abandonment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with fearful avoidance, they received love, but it was also unpredictable and it was also kind of frightening. Mm-hmm. So maybe mom, in my case, mom was so emotional and scary and she would lash out on us. And other times she was the most nurturing, beautiful woman, you know? So to me, I felt abandoned in the sense of, um, you know, feeling misunderstood, feeling like I can't, I don't feel safe with you all the time. So I feel alone in my emotions. I feel alone in my, my own world, right? Mm -hmm. Because I don't know if I can really trust you in this moment. I don't know if you're going to hurt me or if you're going to get mad at me. So that was abandonment for me personally. Um, 
So I hope that makes some sense as like how that can look so different for all of us, depending on our experiences. Yeah, it definitely does. Cause I think I really like to always like define, I think part of it is just like, it's fascinating to me, like how, what we attach to words and and the meaning and the language behind it. But I do always like to clarify that because I think that there are so many different words in every language that we think have one meaning, but they really look very different for other people. And that's kind of why I asked about abandonment is because that's, I know I did see that post. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah. And I knew that, you know, I wanted you to kind of go into that a little bit about really what it does look like for different people, because it's not the same and it shouldn't be the same. Like we're all very different. We're all very unique and finding that and understanding, like you said, how to communicate our needs and learning, not even only like what your needs are. I think that's such a first step of like, how do you even know what you need? Cause sometimes the question is like, I don't know what I need. How do I figure out what I need? And then moving forward and being able to say, okay, I, now I figured out what I need. And how do I even say that to somebody else? That's, is a really hard place to, to even begin. Oh my gosh. It's so, so hard. It's so, yeah. so hard. That's something. And that's why it's also so, so important. Um, to find a partner who is predominantly secure because they can hold space for you to figure out what it is that you need as opposed to getting defensive or as opposed to dismissing you or as opposed to rejecting you in some way. And then you can't grow. Like in my past relationships, every time I like tried to express myself, which was so hard, um, I was just dismissed in whatever way. So it's like, you can't grow. You can't become secure when you're with someone who's so insecure and isn't Mm -hmm. willing to support you or give you the space to grow. So that's why it's finding if you are dating or if you're in a relationship, you know, it's, it's cultivating that security so that you guys um, can identify your needs and communicate it and do your best to meet each other's needs. Right. But that's a whole thing in itself too, is, is <laughs> yeah, learning what, what needs are like, what are needs? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. We could definitely dive, dive deep into that one for sure. Um, but I like that you touched on too, like that finding a partner that is able to help you identify your needs is really important because I had a, I had a situation actually this past weekend, um, And we were with my husband and I were helping my um, father and his wife um, move. And then my sister and her fiance were there and we were all eating. And I was just kind of like, I was exhausted. Like I was just at wit's end. I was just kind of like my brain. I'm also six months pregnant. So I was like, my brain is like mush. So (laughs) I was like, um, we were at a restaurant and I hadn't really slept much. And I, you know, I didn't know exactly what I wanted. So I looked at my husband and I was like, do I want a cheese or a chicken enchilada? And it was just like, so simple for me. And he was like, you want a chicken enchilada? Cause you know, you want more protein and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, okay. And my family gave me so much pushback about that because they were like, that was a controlling behavior on his side. And I was like, Ooh, it's not because I was like that. He identified, he reciprocated what the need was. I, he noticed where I was and that I was asking for help, right? Like I was asking, and it's something so simple about like, what do I want to eat? But it wasn't him 
in my mind, the controlling aspect becomes like, you're going to eat a chicken enchilada because, you know, right. So it was very different, but it was interesting to see that. And I bring that point up just because, you know, when you're in a relationship, there's so many ins and outs and different things, but when you have the attachment and you understand it with your partner and your partner can reciprocate that, like you were saying, it can look very different to other people, but if your attachment is feeling healthy to you and it is a healthy form of attachment and you and your partner are comfortable in that, then it's, then that's okay. Like, and I, and I just wanted to bring that up because I think that we get in this place of like looking for outside, uh, you know, kind of like approval of our relationships too. Like how many of us have gone to our friends and been like, he does this, this, and this, like, what do you think? Or, oh, he bought me flowers, like, you know, to talk him up or, oh, you know, I don't want to talk to my family about our argument because of the judgment or these different things. And we, we kind of shelter this space around us in fear of that judgment. But I wanted to say that attachment becomes a very personal thing. Like you said, it's how we are reacting and interacting with everything in our lives. And when you're in a relationship, I urge people to remember that that relationship is between you and that other person, not anybody else. So, um, I think too, like even with attachment styles, you know, you hear like fearful avoidant or anxious and, you know, dismissive and all these things, you hear these words that again, are kind of loaded and you look Mm -hmm. at, Oh, if I take that quiz and I get this ancient or anxious, you know, attachment style, that's not good. And it's not that it's not good. It's that it's where you're at. And it shows you a place to begin changing. Cause like you said, we all obviously know that we're shooting for secure attachment, but we're never going to reach 100% secure attachment. So setting up that expectation of, Hey, just do your best and understand that you are in that relationship with that one other person. So see what works for Mm -hmm. you guys. And it's okay if there's, you know, anxious or fearful that's sometimes triggered because we all do have past. We all are figuring out our own stuff. Like you're sitting here talking about, you know, your past and and how you've been healing. I have a past and I've been healing. Like, you know, so that is going to continue. We're not going to ever wipe our plate clean and be 100% in that secure attachment. Yeah. Wow. I love everything you just <laughs> said. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And it's coming from such a place of like, self-acceptance and self-love and compassion, which is what we want to cultivate in order to, in order to grow, in order to become more secure. Cause you're right. Like we can't wipe out the past. Mm -hmm. And even though I have grown personally, some things still do surface and there's a lot of shit that I'm still working on. Um, But if we have this expectation of like, okay, I need to be secure. Like I need to be like, that's just you're not going to get anywhere. And that's not what we want to strive for at all. It's just understanding our current state and gaining these tools, um, you know, of, of how do I self-soothe? How do I manage my emotions? How do I express my needs? And that's really what it's all about. Mm-hmm. It's just learning the tools to become your most secure self, whatever that looks like right. and it's for everybody. Yeah. Cause I mean, we've touched on it briefly, but attachment styles, like we've said, kind of flow into every area of our life, everything like, um, you know, some of the other ones that I saw that I think you've touched on, um, 
in some of your posts and different things when I was just slightly Instagram stalking you, but, um, (laughs) is, um, like sex friendships, our own self-love, emotional regulation, self-worth, like it goes into every way that we're interacting. So I just, and I know we've said that multiple times, but it's really a huge takeaway of this is something that you didn't also necessarily have control over how you developed this attachment. I think one of the most interesting things I learned when I was learning about attachment styles in my studies is, um, obviously that you, you, you know, you said we learn them when we're children, we learn them based on our caregiver and our parents' parenting style. One that I thought was really interest interesting is that a lot of kids, there's studies that show, um, a lot of kids will form different types of attachment styles, such as like the fearful avoidant or, you know, anxious and, um, because of, uh, daycare. Mm-hmm. And because they're not spending in those crucial times of, you know, development, they're not spending that time with their parents and their caregivers. And so, you know, that can look different for everybody. And obviously daycare is a reality and sometimes not able to be different because we do have to, you know, work and live and survive. But it was interesting to see how children that went into daycare could form still different, mm-hmm. um, you know, attachment styles, which was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Daycares, nannies, it's really whoever, cause you know, it's what they say from zero to seven, that's mm-hmm. when your, your mind or your subconscious mind is most susceptible. Um, so if you're spending the majority of that time with, you know, a nanny or in daycare or whatever it is, yeah, you're going to learn how to relate based off of what this person is modeling mm-hmm. to you. So Yeah. So you can definitely, that can affect you later relationships can affect you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you could have been secure and then you date someone who is fearful avoidant and you become fearful avoidant as a result, or like that percentage of fearful avoidant rises. Yep. You know, so there's so many factors that can play into it. It is. Um, Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too. Um, since, like I said, I'm pregnant, so I've been reading a bunch. I've, I have stayed away from a lot of the typical parenting style books. And here's why is because I read this book, um, or I'm actually still currently reading it, but it's about French parenting and how different babies and children interact in um, France and Paris kind of that, you know, they're not throwing tantrums at the, at the restaurant or they're able to sit and entertain themselves. And the whole thing comes down to this fact that Americans are a little bit different in that sense, how we interact as kids. And, and we're all about from a very heartwarming place of wanting our kids to, you know, be the best. So stimulate them at a younger age or all these things. But the idea is that we can't necessarily do that because they're not at the developmental stage that they need to be for those things. And we start to get these beautiful things that we like to call helicopter hover moms (laughs) And that affects attachment styles. And so I'm not a mom yet. So I hope that I'm not a helicopter hover mom, but I also feel like I might be a little bit, so no judgment here, but just in that sense of paying attention to even that, like looking at society's climate with parenting and, you know, gosh, like I was reading something about how kids are like a lot of American parents have started putting their kids in tutoring for a foreign language at an earlier and earlier ages. And again, beautiful idea of you want to set your kid up for more success. They want, you know, want them to be, you know, more creative, more like progressing more in their language skills. Um, 
but how it was kind of seeing in like France that these kids were actually developing on their own a little bit more because they were figuring out just a different way to attach to relationships and a different way to attach to even like items and um, playing. And it's kind of just um, interesting to see how much of a lack a child has control over this, but how much caregivers influence this. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that all just stems down to, um, again, like making sure that although we, we want the best for our kids and we want them to be involved in this and be good at this and whatever it is, uh, really seeing them as the unique human that they are. Mm-hmm. And like, how do you feel about this? Like giving them, helping them feel seen, helping them feel understood by asking them, you know, what do you need? What do you, what do you think you need? And kind of working from there. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important in terms of helping them, yeah, create that more secure foundation and that more secure bond. Yeah. And having those conversations about, and I know this is kind of like off on a tangent, but having those conversations with your kids about, um, you know, like emotional regulation when they're younger, like identifying feelings or identifying what they need. Like you said, asking those questions, because that's, that's really important. Once you, um, I saw this other mom that I follow on Instagram. She has a, I think like a three or four year old daughter. And she got on the other day and she said that her daughter became really frustrated and overwhelmed. And she, instead of throwing a tantrum, she went and she said, mom, or she said, mommy, I need a moment. And she stepped back and I'm like a three or four year old understanding that they can, they need a moment to like regulate their emotions. Like kids are really smart. And you said like in that zero to seven, it's really, if, you know, we're forming like our subconscious is that is most susceptible. We're forming our attachment styles. Like this is a really crucial time. So helping understand like that needs, because like I said, sometimes there are question like as adults is even like, I don't know what I need. How do I even figure that out? So if we can start teaching kids in a younger age of, Hey, what is this feeling and what encourages this feeling or what discourages this feeling or how do we process this feeling is really a beautiful thing. And it's funny. I think, um, my family teases me because they think it's just because I'm in the counseling field and I'm like, which just would, maybe it is, (laughs) but I'm like already looking up like, um, you know, emotional regulation books for, you know, like toddlers and things, because that's the thing that sets it up, not the hovering. Wow. Oh my God. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) I ever have children. I just, I'm, I think that's what I'm most excited about is like raising this yeah. child who just like loves themselves and like, right. yeah, that's what I would be most excited about. Well, yeah. And yeah. then we, we raise like secure attachment individuals, which is the whole point, right? Like we're talking about all these attachment styles and it starts at a lot of younger age. Yeah, it really, really does. Man, when I think about, and you're right, like even, you know, talking about France and um, just in different cultures and different regions of the world, there's, there is predominantly different attachment styles. And when I think of like, you know, I'm, my parents are from Brazil. Um, I, I feel like there's so much fearful avoidant there mm-hmm. because they inflict so much fear into you. Um, and it was like, you have to do this or else. Yep. You know? And that was my experience growing up. And so it's, um, it's, so it's interesting to, to keep that in mind too, that 
not just within your family, but within your culture, within the country that you were raised, um, there's going to be a predominant attachment style there as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, um, I grew up, my dad's Italian. So, I mean, even in that, like you think about the, you know, Italian side of the family, but then there's a lot of things swept under the rug in, you know, kind of that Italian sense. It's, and not that everybody does that. We're definitely making very big generalizations, but in societies and cultures, there's different ways that are looked at as kind of the norm for functioning and and paying attention to that. So um, I think that's super interesting that there's different attachment styles and in different cultures that are more predominant. Yeah. And, um, and also it's interesting too, with attachment styles, they say that it does get passed down from generation to generation to generation. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I like talk to my, or I don't even have to talk to my family members, I can see it, but you know, it's like my mom was predominantly fearful avoidant. My grandma was predominantly fearful avoidant. It just gets passed down and passed down. And it's so beautiful when you can start breaking some of those patterns and creating new secure attachments for, you know, generations to come. So. Absolutely. I think, you know, we've really hit on the point of like diving into your attachment style and understanding how this can help in different areas of your life. I want to touch on specifically your, um, area of exercise with dating. I think that, um, you know, what does this look like when, you do start dating. If people are single and, you know, they're starting to understand their attachment style, how do they know, you know, or how do they even begin a conversation, I guess, about like what Mm -hmm. someone else's is or what they're attracting and what kind of that land should look like? Yeah. Um, so, so what I help my clients in doing is really identifying what those needs are. Um, and within each attachment style, you're going to have specific needs. Um, so, you know, if you're anxious attached, you're gonna, you, you tend to have more of a need for certainty. You tend to have more of a need for love and connection, significance, right? Like here I am, think of me, mm-hmm. right? Attention. So when you, ha- and that's perfectly, perfectly normal. I just want to stress that, mm-hmm. um, because usually with these attachments, especially anxious and fearful avoidant, we tend to think that our needs are too much of a burden because mm-hmm. we didn't get them met. So, okay, it must mean I'm a burden. It must mean I'm not good enough or I'm just too needy. That's not it at all. You just have these unique needs. Um, so when you go into relationships or in the dating, right, it's, it's when you can understand and identify what your needs are beforehand, you'll be able to navigate that much quicker, right? So if someone is like very inconsistent, if they only want to hang out with you like one time a week or every other week, or if they're long distance, you're going to know that, okay, this is going to be a very triggering relationship for me. Do I want to go through this or do I want to find someone who's more compatible with my needs? Mm-hmm. And so that's why like understanding what those needs are, it just helps you navigate the dating so much better. So for me personally, I needed, um, well, because I'm fearful avoidant, I have both anxious and avoidant needs. Mm-hmm. So I needed consistency. I needed reliability. Um, I needed someone I could depend on and quality time and love and connection. But I also have needs for some uncertainty, for freedom, for independence, for space. So going into the uh, the dating, I, you know, I found my partner who he, and again, no one's going to ever be able to meet your every single need. Mm-hmm. That's the process of becoming secure is learning how to meet those needs for yourself when 
when need be. But he gives me a good amount of love and connection and significance and certainty. But he also gives me like my freedom to travel with friends, to to work for hours on end, Mm -hmm. to you know, just have my own space and freedom mm-hmm. and, individual- and individuality. So, so going into it, it was really helpful to have that knowledge of what your needs are. Yeah, that sense. <laughs> it does. No. And I think that's really, really helpful because too, I think we, like you do, I, I understand that idea of like thinking, oh, I'm going to be, you know, too much. My needs are going to be too much to put on this person. And so then we kind of retreat back in and we don't ask for our needs to be met. Um, And I think that, again, when you're looking at these, Jessica hit on a big piece of like, that's perfectly normal. When you're talking to other people about, you know, your relationship and there's judgment, I encourage you to like, take a look at your own attachment style again, because um, no relationship is wrong. Like look at, I, you know, talk to find somebody like Jessica or, you know, to talk to somebody that does have knowledge about these things, because there is a lot of judgment, like even in, you know, the silly little example I brought up about like asking if I wanted cheese or chicken enchiladas from my family, they're like, Oh, that was controlling. But for me, it's like, no, he just helped me meet a need because I was depleted at that moment. And he knew that. And so it's like, paying attention to like what your perception is and what your attachment style and how it's being met and when it's being met is really important in identifying that attachment style too. Yes. And such a good point too, uh, to reiterate what you said is we're all, we're all operating from our own attachment style lens. So that's why you have to be so mindful and careful of who you ask advice to, because if you're asking advice from an avoidant, they might be like, leave, bounce. That right. person's controlling. They're mm-hmm. trying to control your, like, no. Right. So it, that, that, that's why too, attachment styles, again, it's, man, it's, um, it really, really helps you just navigate life and mm-hmm. it helps you have more, how do you say, it helps you make better decisions. Yeah. decisions yeah. Who you talk to, who you interact with, what choices you make. Yeah. All of it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And I, I, that's a huge point too. Cause I'm just talking about, you know, the idea with relationships, but like we've hit on multiple times, the attachment styles really affect every single thing you do in your life. And it is really important because even like I was having a conversation, um, with my mom and we were talking about the fact of, you know, she was a stay at home mom and that was her goal. And she loved that. And she told me she was, um, sad that I wasn't going to have that. And I'm not having that out of choice because again, I'm really driven by career and family. And so I don't want to choose either of them. And that to me shows my attachment style, right? Because it's, I'm showing of like, I'm attaching in this way to career I'm attaching in this way too. And so for like, even just seeing of like this idea of like goals and dreams can be, you know, have misconceptions around them because of people having different attachment styles is really important to know, like pay attention to. A hundred percent. Yeah. And also to kind of go back to what we were talking about, um, you know, if you do, you know, when you're operating from your attachment style and say you are anxious, for instance, Mm -hmm. be careful, right. With, with the meaning you give things Mm -hmm. because some people are just not capable 
or they don't have the capacity to meet your needs. And it doesn't mean that you're too much or that you're too this or that you're too this. It's just that some people aren't capable to see you, to understand you, to meet your needs. And you just have to get those, you have to validate your needs regardless or get them met elsewhere. So I always like to just emphasize that because again, it just comes down to Mm self-acceptance and loving yourself and honoring your needs um, and knowing that we're all operating from our own attachment lenses. So don't create meaning, be strong in in who you are and, and what you need and what you desire. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that kind of makes me think just when you were saying that just about the five love languages, I think that's kind of a cool place to start. Um, if people are having, you know, a hard time identifying, like, how do I even experience love or how do I give love? Um, really, you know, starting there, starting looking at like, is that, cause when I think that gives you a place to be able to say, okay, I experience love through quality time. Okay, but then does your partner experience qual- like love through quality time? And that can be a really good place to start this conversation too, especially if you are in an intimate partner relationship where you're, you know, that can help start a conversation about identifying needs because sometimes, like I said, we've talked about, we're not sure even where to start. So yeah. I think, what do you think about that? Do you think that that's a good place? Okay. I, yeah. Oh, I love, yeah. Five love languages, um, such a great place to start. Yeah. Because it gives you, uh, ideas as to, okay, well, what feels good? Okay. Quality time feels good or words of affirmation feels good. Um, I've noticed that, and not to generalize, but I've noticed that with a lot of avoidance, for instance, their love language is, um, like acts of service Mm -hmm. or they give love through acts of service because they're not like love and connection and intimate, like emotional intimacy is not their strong suit. Mm -hmm. So they show you love by maybe giving you a gift or doing things for you. Um, so it's just interesting too, how it all ties in as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But I do think, I mean, like we're saying, I think it's a good place to start because, um, I actually had that conversation with my husband because, um, I was like, when we first kind of moved in together, I was like, you know, making sure that the dishes were put away and that, you know, like the laundry was done. And then I started getting frustrated because he would be like, Oh, cool. Thanks. And I was like, whoa, like, what the heck? Like I did all this stuff and took so much time. And so I started talking to him and I'm like, what does, what makes you feel loved? And it was his is quality time. So I'm like, okay, so these acts of service are not the way he experiences love. So then it's addressing that and shifting that. And it took a lot of that stress out of the relationship and out of, you know, like, okay, instead of, you know, maybe if there's dirty dishes in the sink, Hey, do you want to go see a movie? Do you want to like, do you want to go out to dinner or do something else? And it changes a lot of how that kind of conversation and dialogue. And also again, shifting to that secure attachment style, because then you're feeling like your needs are being met. A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 And with secure attachment, it's and such a good point. It's learning how to compromise and learning how to be open to meeting your partner's needs, knowing that we're all most likely going to have different needs. Right. So it's having that flexibility is also such a huge, huge component of secure attachment. Absolutely. Well, I could keep talking to you for so long, but I think this has been just like such a loaded and really impactful, um, you know, podcast interview. I am so grateful for you coming on Jessica and, um, would love to talk to you again sometime. Thank you, Caitlin. (laughs) And to all of our listeners, um, I'm going to put Jessica's information in the episode notes. So you can take that free quiz, um, start there. 
And also you can reach out to Jessica and get a hold of her. Um, as always, please uh, subscribe, rate, and review. We want to hear what you want to hear more about, um, you know, what you thought of the episode, all of that. And until next time, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye, guys. Thank you for hanging out with me on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. Don't forget to head over and grab your free self-love activation meditation at theabundancealchemist.com and hit subscribe here so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, sending you so much love.